The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch. Up against the wall. Can't explain it what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode 354, coming to you on Wednesday, January 15th. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are back at it, and uh, we, we had to hold up our recording here on Tuesday night. Uh, you guys are listening to this on Wednesday, uh, because, Alicia, you were at a family gathering, a birthday f- dinner for your mom which was at the Cheesecake Factory, and you just, you you told me some news that I just find utterly incomprehensible. Tell the <laughs> listeners at home. Uh, I mean, you asked me if I got cheesecake, and I did not. No one in my family did, and there's a Cheesecake Factory right by my the house I grew up in, and we ended up going to the Cheesecake Factory fairly often as a family for outings, and... I would say that 75% of the time, we never got cheesecake. I, 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 I cannot, I cannot put into <laughs> words, like, how I feel about this. This is like going to McDonald's and not ordering fries. Well, McDonald's fries are trash, so. Alicia, you're, you're, you're not doing anything to <laughs> dispel the idea that you're actually the one with bad food ticks. <laughs> Am I though? It, it's like I don't know. It's it's like going to Subway and not getting a sandwich. I mean, but like Cheesecake Factory has a really extensive menu. Everyone can be happy. You can get a burger or flatbread or pasta or right. meatloaf or yes, one hundred percent. So like, it's good for my family. There's a lot of people in my family. A lot of people to please in my family. So like, everyone can find something. Yeah. So like, we go there not for the cheesecake part of it. It's just like. Yeah, but as soon as you walk into that building, you got to know that you're saving room for freaking cheesecake and damn good cheesecake at that. Like, it's just, it's it's accepted that this is a thing. What are you well, doing? Okay. 
See, here's the problem is that, you know, at the Cheesecake Factory, they give you the bread before you eat. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I feel like I basically just gorge myself on the bread. So I'm never really like, I have a dessert stomach, but also like mostly I just eat the bread and then I eat my entree and they have giant servings there. So, you know, there's, I don't know, it's just, it's just not like, I, I don't view like cheesecake as a requirement. Now their cheesecake is excellent. Don't get me wrong. But like, I don't feel like cheesecake is a requirement of going to the to the cheesecake factory. But that's why you order it to go. I don't know. My family's like cheapskates, Michael. Like, my parents wouldn't clearly let us order not desserts. if you're going to the cheesecake all the time. Cheesecake factory. Well, okay. <laughs> like, like that's not good evidence for that. Well, but like we'd go and like get like entrees and stuff like that, and that would be the end of it. But then when you have like seven people, because I have five brothers, like I don't know. You get a couple of slices of cheesecake and you split them. Pass but it what around. If, like, what if, like, today, we're, like, everyone's not going to the same place? So, like, I'm going back home, my well, parents are going back there. home. But, like, I, I don't you, know. You I don't get think one anyone... and you pass it around. Everyone gets two bites. Well, I don't know. We went for my mom's birthday, so really they should have given us a cheesecake. Well, that they too. Didn't. Yeah, for sure. So, like, that's on Cheesecake Factory, I suppose. I, I'm i just flabbergasted. 100% <laughs> flabbergasted. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? I mean... They have really good flatbreads. I was pleased with my flatbread and my and my brown bread. And what more do you need? More do you need? Cheesecake. That's what you need. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, thanks for listening here on Red Troy Radio. As always, you can subscribe to our bonus content over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Red of Troy, where if you join for as little as 333, you get all of our main show episodes ad-free. Ad-free for 333 for 555 you get all of our main show episodes ad-free, plus all of our bonus episodes. Like Friday, we did a trivia episode that was super fun. Like an hour and a half of us just going back and forth with some USC trivia. And then Monday, Alicia put up a second and short episode. This Friday, we'll put up something else. Uh, two things of content at least each week over on Patreon. And for 10 bucks, not only do you get the main show ad-free, but you get all of our bonus episodes and get to join our Slack channel, uh, the Rock Crew, where it's it's a lively time talking about USC football and life so much more 24-7. Yeah, it's hopping over there and we're getting into our off-season swing and so we're going to get into a lot of uh, historical stuff, a lot of big picture kind of stuff. Uh, we're also covering, you know, the, the basic recruiting and random DC hires or other assistant coaching hires and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, go check it out over on the Patreon. We're doing some good stuff over there and, and it's definitely the best way to support the show. That's right. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Please should take a quick break. We'll come right back and get into the crux of this episode with USC making big changes. Mike Bone, the athletic director, making big changes at USC. Open up a mailbag and so much more here on this episode. We'll be right back. Let's get into the news and start with a report from the L.A. Times and Ryan Carte of the L.A. Times. USC fired three senior officials in the athletic department on Tuesday. Uh, This comes from Carte, quote, Those changes at Heritage Hall have begun, according to multiple people familiar with the situation who were not authorized to speak publicly. Three of USC's most senior officials in the athletic department are out. 
including Steve Lopes, the CFO and COO, who'd long been considered second in, in command. Ron Orr and Scott Jacobson are also uh, reported to be packing their bags at USC. Yeah, and, and uh, Carte added on Twitter that the the firings are believed to be linked to either the Varsity Blue scandal or other scandals that have gone on with the athletic department. So it was kind of a long time coming. Uh, the expectation back when, when the Varsity Blue scandal even hit was that, you know, you, ha- you have to clean house, right? You have to clean house. And finally, USC is starting to do the things that we, we expected them to do as far as cleaning house. So I think Steve Lopes was a guy that we've talked about many times as somebody who we expected him being the second in command in an athletic department that had so many issues, like there had to have been a target on his back. Uh, and and obviously the collateral damage is, is all going to be there. So, you know, I think we'll see the fallout from this will continue, but this is exactly what USC had to do. And honestly, it's like it's a it's it's the first step that makes me think for a second that, you know, Mike Bone will see what he can do. We'll see what he can put together when he gets his stamp on this athletic department. We know he's already brought brought in uh, Brandon Sosna, who was his, I believe he was the COO. Um, or the the chief financial officer at Cincinnati. Chief of staff. Yeah, so he's his right-hand man, so he's going to, I suspect him to continue being his right-hand man, but the rest of the athletic department is going to have to follow suit. And I've said this many times on, on many shows, you got you to gotta clean house completely, and if you throw some babies out with the bathwater, then so be it. You cannot have any of the taint of the, of the former uh, administration left over. Uh, you've got to just start clean. 100%. And, you know, I, I, I put on Twitter, it's it's not that I think that, that Steve Lopes was terrible at USC or anything. It's that he's he's connected to, to an athletic department that has done a lot of bad things, uh, not only with the Varsity Blues, but with, you know, a decade of bad decisions. And you can say that Pat Hayden made all those. You can say that Lynn Swan made all those. But the reality is that the collective hive mind of USC – and the culture that that was that that is festered in the athletic department uh, is where all that comes from, really. Like that, everyone enabled everyone else, right? So uh, you need to just start over. And you know, Steve Lopes could have been the 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 bright part of the athletic department, sure. If you want to argue that, maybe I don't know. I, I don't know enough. I know that he was one of the, the the long tenured people there and you need to just start over. You absolutely need to start over. And so uh, it, it needed to be, to be done. It was long overdue, like we mentioned, and whether or not the varsity blues plays a role, it's an easy excuse. So you got to do what you got to do. Uh, and, and for Mike bone, a necessary move because he needs to establish his culture. He needs to establish his ability to, run the athletic department. I do feel bad. And I mentioned this before that if there are factors that prevented Mike bone from doing what the fans wanted him to from going out there and firing Clay Helton and bringing in urban Meyer and all that stuff. If there were factors that he, that, that handcuffed him, that he's not able to provide transparency to, then he's in a no win situation, right? But he needs to find some way to start winning. He needs to find some way to start proving that things are going in his direction or that, that he has control. This is one of those ways. 
whether or not you want to believe that or not, like it, he needs to assert himself. And this is one of those ways to do it. Um, and SC is desperately needed a change. And if nothing else, change is coming uh, piece by piece. And that's that's a starting point. It's a starting point. Well, we can we can sit here and choose to be skeptics and and for lack of a better of a better phrasing, like haters when it comes to to Mike Bone and just say that he's incompetent or whatever. But the fact of the matter is that we don't really have enough of a sample size yet to to speak on no. how good Mike Bone is or isn't at his job. He made the one big at, decision. At USC, at least. Yeah, at USC. Um, he made the one, which is how we're going to judge him. Uh, ultimately, but he made the one big decision, and I I think that uh, I, as much as I disagree with the decision to keep Clay Hilton, as as much as I think it was a bad idea, um, on his part, I am not going to judge everything on that decision. There is so much more that goes into being an athletic director, and I think that th- you know you start now. The situation he was put in at the end of 2019. I don't think he handled it the best he could have, but it was a really unfortunate situation for him, for USC, for everything like that. It was complicated. And I'm willing to believe that. There are people out there who will poo-poo that notion and say, no, they're just being cheap or whatever. No, I, I think these situations are way more complicated than anyone from the outside looking in wants to acknowledge. But once we've set that all to the side and say, you know what, yes, it's complicated. You still made the wrong decision, but it was complicated, whatever. You start out now, 2020 the new decade, the new year, all of that kind of stuff, and you go from there. And so every step that we take going forward, evaluating this program is going to have to be with the view towards the future and not towards the past, I think. And Mike Bone is going to, we're going to judge Mike Bone based on what he does this year. And ultimately, he's going to even either prove himself wrong or right about what he did in 2019 at the at the tail end there. But um, I don't know, This is this is the start. You have to take the first step towards cleaning up this athletic department. And honestly, this was the first step. Honestly, if he had fired Clay Hilton, but kept the athletic department as is, I would be more upset. And I know that in the short term, in the feel goods and all that kind of stuff, everybody wanted Clay Hilton gone and a new start at the at the top of the football program. But the root problems that are inherent with USC's athletic department and thus spreading over to USC's football and basketball programs were in the administration. So making these administrative moves, I think, are are a much bigger deal than anything that has to do with the football coach for now. Uh, that, that, that will change a little bit when we get later on in the year and the football stuff becomes more clear. But for now, this was absolutely needed. And, and it's a, like I said, it's a step in the right direction. For now, but that's only because he's already made the decision on Clay Elton. The, the football decision was always going to be the number one thing that people were going to judge him by. And rightfully so. It's the biggest, it, it's, it's the biggest thing that, that people have as a tangible um, judgment point, right? Because people can watch football games and judge Clay Helton and Mike Bone because of it. Uh, we can sit here and I think you and I know a thing or two about USC, but we're not going to, you know, pretend to know everything. Right. And, well, and we're not going to sit here and evaluate. Give give Matt. I mean, uh, uh, Steve Lopes a report card on everything he does in his job. Right. Like I don't know half of what he does in his job. E- so. Exactly, and, and so I think that because of that, the football decisions are always going to be the ones that are going to take the the spotlight. Uh, which is why I think that 
that it's imperative for Mike Bone to start being able to garner up some some feel good vibes by by doing this stuff. Um, but I don't know that he's ever going to be able to win people over until he ultimately gets rid of Clay Helton because that's where well, that's where the bloodthirst is, right? That's where absolutely pe- that's, that's where the bloodthirst is. But that, but that's here's what, that's where, where people my, want. And until that happens, people aren't going to going to sidestep that notion, right or wrong. Oh, for sure. But my reading of the situation is that you have to start somewhere. And Absolutely, you know, yeah. if you if you listen to if you listen to what people are saying about the decision to keep Clay Helton and the state of the athletic department and all of that kind of stuff, if the finances are as as shaky as we've heard, and the reason you can't part ways with Clay Helton cleanly is because the buyout's so huge and they have to, you have, you're dealing with all these other lawsuits and all this kind of other stuff. And on top of that, you also get the sense that like USC would have a hard time convincing top tier coaching talent to come to USC because the athletic department is a mess and people take it all as a joke and and you don't have the the money or the infrastructure to uh to to live up to the you know the support staff and all that right. kind of stuff. Well, you got to start somewhere. Well, you have to start somewhere. So if 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 Mike Bone is trying to rebuild this athletic department from the ground up, rebuild the support staff from the ground up, all of that kind of stuff, then this is the kind of stuff he has to do. And we can all sit here and be critical that you still should have fired Clay Helton because the toxicity around the, the fan base and all of that kind of stuff has gotten overblown. But regardless of what happened with Helton, these were the kind of things that you needed to do. And if these are the steps that it takes to clean up the athletic department, which then will put you in a stronger position when you do have the opportunity or are, are ready to make the change at the head coaching position, then these are the kind of decisions that are going to set that up for later. So I'm looking at it from that perspective where you can't ultimately succeed down the line until you take care of these little things, these administrative changes in the first place. Yeah, because the toxicity of USC, USC, you know, what do you bone the world? Like, like how do you, how do you bone disorder, disorder now somewhere between the sacred <laughs> silence Sacred silence and sleep, somewhere between the sacred silence and sleep. Disorder, disorder, disorder. <laughs> well done. You tr- you tried there. You did try. Yeah, it was it was like a three out of a ten. I get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Other news involving USC. Uh, Keaton Slovis named a first team freshman All American quarterback by the Football Writers Association of America, the FWAA. I thought this was interesting. They put out the the first team, and they had two quarterbacks on it. Keaton Slovis from USC and Sam Howell from North Carolina. And if you've looked at all these freshman All-American teams, Keaton Slovis has been the second teamer on pretty much all of them because Sam Howell has been the first teamer. So I'm sort of curious, did the FWAA have like a tie in the vote? Because why would they have two quarterbacks? Or are they? Is it like a two quarterback league in uh, in fantasy football where we acknowledge that quarterback is such an important but they, position? But they still only had two running backs and one kicker and one punter. Like it, that that would make sense if you know if other positions were yeah, consistently ha- doubled. But for like instance, that. for instance, with running back, I get that I get why we've had two running backs in the past. Right. But like, how many? How many? What percentage of of universities now? run personnel where they're where they have two running backs on the field so if you're creating a team you could just right. as easily make the argument For that two running if you're gonna backs, have two yes. running backs then you then you can have two quarterbacks like i don't know i know it's weird it's weird it's an ordinary um 
Maybe it was a tie. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, we'd Either have to way. look back at previous all FWAA freshman All-American teams to, to know for certain, but either way. Keaton, Keaton's deserving whether it's first or second team. It's all sort of, um, it's all sort of arbitrary at a certain point. But yep. uh, he he had he had an outstanding freshman season, so it's it's good that he's being that that that's being acknowledged. And that's that's right. Uh, the other news involving Keaton Slovis. Now that the season is officially over, the national championship is done. That was on Monday. We're going to talk about that in our next segment. LSU beats uh, Clemson forty two twenty five in the Superdome in uh, New Orleans. Uh, no, that's over. Uh, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson didn't have the best game of his life, certainly. And that kind of matters because Keaton Slovis finishes officially seventh nationally in quarterback rating at 167.65, which is ahead of Trevor Lawrence, who's eighth. Oregon's Justin Herbert finished 14th. Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show what Keaton did. And you can look at it as the air raid if you want, but I think it's really a reflection of how well USC's offense ultimately performed in the run-in. And we saw Keaton masterfully, masterfully running that offense and everything clicking for, for USC in that sense. So um, it's, I was having a conversation with, um, with a friend of mine who's an Oregon fan who was asking, like, he was reading some stuff on, on Bleacher Report or something. And he was like, do USC fans really think that Keaton Slovis is a Heisman contender for next year. And I was like, well, I don't know if anyone really thinks that, but he's up there in the Heisman odds. So, you know, of course, but, you know, you look at it in 2020, Keaton could throw for an outrageous number of yards and touchdowns just by the virtue of USC's offense being this high powered machine. And so, yeah, he'll be in that conversation. USC might not have the wins to keep him in that conversation, but USC's offense is going to put up some numbers one way or the other, just by the nature of, of what they've got working for them. Yeah, I mean, the system surely plays a big role in this, but isn't every quarterback in America a system quarterback at this point, right? Like I, I heard uh, Braden Gall from the Athlon podcast talk about that, and it makes sense. I mean, look at Joe Burrow, right, over at LSU. We're going to talk about LSU in, in a little bit in the next segment, but like, he is still a product of Joe Brady. But what makes Joe Burrow so good are the things that Joe Burrow brought to that offense. And what makes Keaton Slovis so good are the things that transcends the, the, the offense, right? Like, you know, we talked about all season, oh, the, or all, you know, preseason, I said the quarterback didn't matter. Quarterback didn't matter. Um, I think it was proved wrong, proven wrong, mostly because of the things that, that the the quarterbacks at the end of the day, mind you, we're talking about Keaton Slovis and well, Matt Fink. Okay, uh, the, JT the Daniels didn't get the opportunity to prove about whether or not the quarterback mattered. But the quarterback, the court, I think the quarterback actually didn't matter in the sense that, like, I feel like you could put most quarterbacks in there and they would have thrown for three hundred fifty yards in this yes, offense. Yes, what Keaton right, was right. doing was four hundred fifty and five hundred yards. Like that was well, beyond, but, you know. But the reason that we say Keaton Slovis is a good quarterback is because of the things that he does that transcends the offense, right? His ability to stay calm in the pocket, his ability to to move around the pocket. Sometimes he does it a little bit too much, and you know we saw it backfire in the Oregon game, but we also saw him be really good in that Oregon game in the first quarter, right? Those are the things that transcends the offense. Joe Burrow does those things that transcends how good the system is that he runs. 
And so those are the reasons why you can sit here and say that Keaton Slovis, you know, does things that that is more than just the system. Uh, it's also the same thing of why Matt Fink, I think, works kind of the the inverse of this, right? Like th- some of the things that Matt Fink does and the way that he was playing, where it comes off as YOLO ball and whatnot, those kind of things take away from what the system is trying to do. Um, and, and so I think that those things kind of, you know, are at odds, and, and that's why it ends up, uh, you know, seeming like the quarterback quarterback absolutely matters. Who knows? Maybe if JT was healthy, uh, he'd have the same exact numbers as Keaton Slovis. Who knows? The The point is, Keaton Slovis is really good because of the little things that he does in addition to all the benefits he has with USC's receivers and the offense and all that kind of stuff. It works two ways. It's a three-dimensional world, not black and white. Uh, let's go to the final USC news bit here, which is where the Trojans rank in the way-too-early polls. Uh, since the national championship game is behind us, this is something that always comes out the Tuesday after the national championship game, the way-too-early polls. And this was really interesting doing a roundup because uh, there is... Uh, hmm. I, I want to say that there's a consensus, but there's also very clearly not a consensus. ESPN's Mark Slaybaugh didn't have USC ranked. CBS's Dennis Dodd did not have USC ranked. Athlon's Steve Lassen did not have USC ranked. And for the most part, those are the three people doing this that I put the most stock into. They're way too early polls for, for what they are, which is always a crapshoot anyways. Um, Bill Bender of the Sporting News did not have USC ranked. However... Connor O'Gara from the Saturday Down South, uh, dot com has USC 17th. USA Today has USC 17th. And Stadium, via Brent McMurphy, has USC 14th. So on one hand, uh, there is a strong contingent of media that has USC unranked going into 2020. And on the other hand, uh, kind of not. So what, what, what do you make of it? Well, this is rough. This is tough because I'm sympathetic to both sides. I think that there is a universe where if I'm projecting out to next year, USC could absolutely be ranked between 15 and 20 by the end of next season. Uh, We just got done talking about Keaton Slovis and how good of a quarterback he is. And USC's bringing back all those great wide receivers and bringing up back a ton of, of, of running back talent and they're going to get a new D.C., and maybe that new D.C. will will yield better results for, from the defensive side of the ball. But there's still talent loaded all over that roster. So, yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable to look at USC and say they could be ranked between 15 and 20. Right. Having said by the that, end of the season, yes. By the end of the season. Having said that, if you watched USC in 2020, in 2019, and you watched the Holiday Bowl and you watched what the the players on the field did— then I think you are right to be skeptical of USC. And and if I was making a way too early top 25, the highest I would rank USC would be 20 to 25. And that's on the yeah. that's solely based on because Keaton Slovis, because those right. wide receivers, because Graham Harrell's coming back. But so the guys who have them 14, 17, 17, like I just think they're they're blindly saying, well, USC, so USC, like. I think you have to balance out the, well, they could be up by 15, but also we've seen what the results are under the Clay Hilton regime and they're, they'll find a way to lose five games. Like that's, that's going to be my, this is going to be the thing that everyone's going to get tired of hearing me say 
all offseason, but I'm convinced USC will find a way to lose five games next year. So, you know, fringe ranking situation again? I, I, I don't know. Like, to be, you have to be fair to what USC hasn't been able to accomplish when you're right. when you're making these these way too earlys. But at the same time, I want to be fair to if I'm Brett McMurphy and I say Keaton Slovis, then I'm saying Keaton Slovis. Yeah, but th- there's more to just the quarterback. And yeah, I think SC has the talent on defense to be much better. But the other thing, they still need to 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 be better. And so I would not in my preseason twenty top twenty five. I don't think I have SC ranked. Uh, I, I could see putting SC in the twenties, but I, I think I think deep down we all know that SC could finish anywhere between tenth and fortieth in the nation next year, and they could look the same as you know the past couple of years, but still be ranked anywhere in there. Anything what if is you're possible. operating under the assumption that Austin Jackson, Elijah Vera Tucker, and company are all coming back. What if you well, are operating that, under the assumption that... And, and that's that- why you have to, like, if, if those guys come back and SC goes out and gets a, a great defensive coordinator, then by all means, make the case for why SC's the top 20 team. But knowing what we know now, they're not. Yeah. that No, that's fair. That's fair. Th- they could but certainly way too early, be there, but But there, there's not. a reason why way too early top 25s sure. are very, Just- very, very inherently flawed. Yep, that's right. Uh, we're taking a quick break, though. Come back and talk about a team that's not very flawed, the LSU Tigers. And Ed Ogeron. Be right back. All right, Alicia, let's get into the national championship game, which was Monday night. One of those games that was way better than the score indicated. I think if you just looked at the box score, you would have thought that it was potentially a, you know, well-decided game in favor of LSU. I don't think it actually was, um, but it was it was very closely contended, uh, contested for, for most of it. Uh, LSU comes out and gets completely stymied by Brett Venables uh, and Clemson's defense early, but they make adjustments with Joe Brady uh, and, and with Joe Burrow, and suddenly everything comes together and LSU cannot be stopped for the most part, and they win 42 25 uh and ed ogeron gets his national championship as a head coach and proves a lot of people wrong us included certainly um it's an interesting situation though because i find it very tiring the narratives that come out of this because there's so much grandstanding about ed ogeron there's so much um you know revisionist history there's so much emotional narratives that that are that are um, included. I think that there's a lot of resentment that USC fans feel about where USC is. Certainly, there's a lot of resentment that USC boosters like Brian Kennedy um, have towards where USC is, and I think that LSU becomes a very comfortable. Um, what do you call Foil? it? Uh, sure, uh, for or a, a vehicle for seeing, well, see, 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 see. And I, I get it, but it's all frustrating for me because so much of it feels rooted in emotion um, where I, I think we just need to sit back and, you know, take this for what it is. This was a hell of a, hell of a team that LSU had, hell of a, hell of a season the Tigers had. 
Um, at the same point, I mean, let's be real. This would not have happened with Ed Ogeron at USC. And I think I think you're kidding yourself if you think it it would. Well, so the, yeah, this is this is the the back and forth, right? That that has <laughs> has been created. Where how much credit does Ed Orgeron get? He gets all the credit because he's the national title winning head coach. But does his success at LSU make it wrong that USC didn't hire him in 2013? I think you and I both agree, no. Ed Orgeron would not have been the right hire in 2013, just like Clay Hilton was not the right hire in 2015, just like it turned just out like that Steve, Steve Sarkeesian was not the right, the wrong, either, was not yeah. the right hire. Yeah. The, that, those, those things kind of exist in their own vacuum for me. Uh, just because Steve Sarkeesian was the wrong hire doesn't mean that Ed Orgeron was the right one. And I keep going back to uh, Ed Orgeron lost to Notre Dame and UCLA. Ed Orgeron lost a game to UCLA that cost USC a chance at the Pac-12 South title um, that cost him the chance at the job. If he beats UCLA, he probably gets that job. So he had that opportunity and and, and it just didn't come through. And we know that, that ultimately what's helped him grow as a head coach is his journey. And I think we, we can't discount the journey that he took being on Les Miles staff, being in, being in Louisiana, seeing things done differently and, and, and all that. So I think that you're getting ahead of yourself. If you act like Ed Orgeron would have won a national title at USC. No, Ed Orgeron wouldn't have David Randa as his offensive, as his defensive coordinator. And he wouldn't have, uh, Joe Brady as his passing game coordinator, and he wouldn't have all of the different uh, institutional sort of advantages that he has at LSU. I want to bring up a a tweet that somebody sent me, uh, or that somebody sent uh, on Twitter that that I was added in, where this is a uh, Will Bow Free Willy ninety nine who said the last three coaches at LSU all won national championships. The staff supporting Coach O is top notch. The difference between LSU and SC runs much deeper than the head coach. Replacing Helton alone will not get it done, so the change will take time. That's exactly true. LSU has won a national title with each of their last three coaches. and Or is it their last two? Co- who's the third? I, I don't know who the third one Save was. It. but Save Oh, Saban. Miles there you go. Yeah. yeah. So that, that goes to show that LSU takes this seriously, and LSU invests, and LSU goes out of their way to pay a defensive coordinator to to get to get him there. And LSU went out and got Matt Canada and paid him a lot of money. And when it didn't work out with Matt Canada, they got rid of him. And they paid another guy a lot of money. Like they've they've done everything they needed to on the on the on the support staff, on everything like that, to get the job done to get them to into national title shape. USC has not done that. USC has never done that, frankly. So Ed Orgeron needed to be in that place and take nothing away from him, he's the perfect fit for LSU. He's Cajun through and through. Like, I want to appreciate the the right coach at the right time with the right culture, with the right staff, with the right players, getting Joe Burrow this all-time great season that he's put in. All of that kind of stuff, good for LSU. But honestly, everything that's happened with LSU, the only thing I want to talk about with regard to, to USC is that is what a winning program does. USC, pay attention to that. Don't nitpick Ed Orgeron or Kenichu Deze or Tommy Robinson or whatever it is that's over there. LSU has the roadmap, the general look at, at, at how to do things, not 
you should have hired Ed Orgeron. I, I don't think that's the, the, the fix at all. By the way, I just looked it up. Only one of USC's last eight head coaches full-time have won a national championship in their tenure. Um, that's a little complicated, a little asterisk, because John Robinson did not win a national title during uh, his second tenure, but he did in his first, uh, and he gets counted as one of the eight, uh, or sorry, one of the seven of the eight that did not win one uh, in his second tenure. But So that could just goes to show, yeah. USC caught lightning in a bottle with Pete Carroll. Sure. L- yeah. LSU winning a national title, which with one, each one of their last three head coaches tells you that they're doing something right. They're not catching lightning, lightning in a bottle. And but even still, I, I think they did catch lightning in a bottle with, well, with Joe Burrow, with Joe Burrow, with Joe Brady, and with Ed Ogeron. Because Ed Ogeron is a coach who did not have a resume that was worth hiring to a, a job like LSU. Uh, Joe Brady was a, what a two star recruit or whatever it was at at Ohio State. Um, and was someone who had lost quarterback battles at Ohio State and someone that Urban Meyer and his staff um, didn't pick to start as their quarterback, right? And so Joe Brady was someone who was uh, an offensive analyst or whatever he was at with, with the Saints. He wasn't even a full-time staff member in the, in the sense of like he wasn't a coach. He was an analyst. So it, it's not like... You know, Ed o- yeah, Ed Ogeron has Dave Aranda, and you know, part of that was because Les Miles hired Dave Aranda, and then Ed Ogeron got to inherit that and honor his contract. But at the same point, like LSU did catch lightning in a bottle, and a lot of things came together, and this was entirely unpredictable in the sense that you you go back and you look at what Joe, Joe Brady did and and Joe Burrow did. Really, Joe Burrow had the greatest season in the history of college football for a quarterback, maybe for a player period, like. This has been the, the talking point all week, and it's hard to argue it, right? He sets the NCAA record for passer rating, sets the NCAA record for passing touchdowns with 60. We're talking about an LSU team, an LSU program that cannot do anything right offensively for for decades. They have not been good on offense. They've just been this ugly, plotting, blah of a team on offense that always relies on a great defense. And suddenly they put together arguably the greatest offense in the history of the game um, based on a quarterback that wasn't wanted in Joe Burrow with a assistant coach who was a, a, a previous nobody in Joe Brady. And LSU goes from having the 67th best passing offense to number two behind Washington State who runs an air raid. So like... You know, we can we can sit here and, you know, so many people want to now retcon everything to be like, well, Ed Ogeron always had this in him. Like, no, nobody could have predicted this. The the, the leap that, that LSU took in the last 12 months was unfathomable, even for Ed Ogeron. There's no way Ed Ogeron or Joe Burrow could have sat there and been like, you know what, my goal next year is to, to throw 60 touchdowns Four more, or four times what I did last year. Like that never was a goal, right? Because it was unfathomable, and so it's just a little ridiculous to me. How many people are just buying into the idea that like this was always going to happen? No, this was lightning in a bottle, and it's a great story, and it's a hell of a college football story. And take that for what it is. At the same point, like that—that's what it is. Well, I just think USC has way bigger problems than than crying over Ed Orgeron. Like, oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah. 
for sure. And lastly, the last little gripe I have here is the idea that, that you know, the Ed Ogeron versus Clay Helton comparison. As if SC picked Clay Helton over Ed Ogeron. They didn't. Yeah, <laughs> that's the funny thing. USC picked Clay Helton probably because of Ed Ogeron. Yes, they, they picked they Clay didn't. Helton because of Ed Ogeron, but not not in spite of. Like, that. that's yeah. not how it worked. So, anyways, uh, last thing to mention about the national championship game was they honored, uh, since it was, an e- it was an ESPN broadcast and the final game of college football's 150th year anniversary, ESPN put out a list of the 150 greatest players in college football's 150-year history. And where do I start? Um, um, let's see. Start well, with let's the fact it, that it's a ridiculous list. and let, let, Let's put it this way. that I put it on Twitter. I had to scroll a long way to find someone who played in my lifetime. And the, the, the highest-ranked player who played in my lifetime is Peyton Manning at number 21. Which, can we just have a conversation for a second about Peyton Manning at number 21? Because Peyton Manning at number 21 tells you everything you need to know about this list. Oh, it does, Along with a whole bunch of other people. But to be frank, Peyton Manning is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. But he is not, 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 a top 25 college football player. Okay, I think this you're a little list, you're, you're you're I think you're misremembering the 90s a little bit. This list is 1000% a list of guys who had NFL success and thus we remember them and thus we when thus we sure. overvalue yeah. their college accomplishments. Right. Or they they had fantastical college success back when uh, back when freshmen didn't play and back when white players and black players didn't play on the same team. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, Red Grange was a hell of a player. Sure. I'm not doubting it. And and Jim Thorpe, he completely just was fantastic in 1912. But how, like, how do you even, first of all, how do you compare those, those people to, to people who play today? You can't do it. But uh, secondly, I have no problem with Peyton Manning being ranked number 21. I have a problem with him being ranked 21 and the number one of anyone who played in my lifetime. That's the problem. I have a problem with Peyton Manning being ranked 21 when Reggie Bush is 61. OJ Simpson, Marcus Allen, Allen, Ronnie Law, and Reggie Bush are are, are, are as far behind Peyton Manning as they are. I'm just saying, like I, I get the argument you're saying, but I think I think you're mis. If no, 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 again, Peyton Manning's the, the not question, the one to 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 make this argument about. The question I want to ask, well, there's a lot of them I could make this argument about, but the question I want to ask is if Peyton Manning had broken his leg and not played a down of of NFL football, would he be ranked number twenty one? He would not. M- maybe not. Uh, but like he was a hell of a he was a hell of a college football player. The, the the biggest gripes I have on this list are not only the the lack of inclusion of current players, and, and this isn't just the well, this isn't just a college football through? thing. The, yeah, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go through it in a second. But the, the, the NHL put out the hundred greatest players in for the hundred year anniversary a few years ago, and they had like 
three active players, one of them being Jonathan Taves, which is just asinine, and that didn't have uh, Gino Malkin in there. Like, there's there's crazy things that that these that, that that happens on this list because people put on pedestals players that we've heard of our whole lives because they want to combat recency bias. And I get it. I get it. The recency bias is difficult. But at the same point, that doesn't mean that you don't have any of the top players, uh, any of the top 20 people on this list that didn't play uh, in the last 30 years. That's insane. Utterly insane. Let's, let's talk about the list, though. Nine from USC, make it. Number 25, OJ Simpson. Number 40, Marcus Allen. Number 58, Ronnie Lott. 61, Reggie Bush. 96, Charles White. 99, Anthony Munoz. 105, Junior Seau, 111, Mike Garrett, 144, Tony Baselli. Which means there's three big, huge, monstrous snubs. Ron Yeri, Matt Leinert, and Richard Batman Wood. Uh, I have no idea how you leave any of those three off the list. Well, here's here's the issue. No offense to Tony Baselli, but Ron Yeri had just a much more outstanding career than Tony Baselli or Anthony Munoz at the college level. Anthony Munoz is a real, another really good example of the NFL mystique coming into play because Anthony Munoz was sure. great at USC, but he was not his full NFL all-time great player at USC. So to have Anthony Munoz that high and to have Tony Baselli in there and not have Ron Yeri, that is a snub of epic proportions um matt leinert is another nfl retconning where because he didn't have a great nfl career everyone just ignores the accomplishments that he had in his full in the full extent of his heisman winning career um and then richard wood was a three-time all-american uh a linebacker i love junior seau another great all-time all-time great but if junior seau never plays a down in the nfl he's not up there ahead of, of richard wood so it's just I see NFL fingers all over this thing and I just think they get they get a lot of this wrong. They really do you, you know what the best explanation though I heard for like where OJ Simpson is ranked? Cuz OJ Simpson's not number 25 and when the list was getting read out the top 10, they read out the top 10 uh on the uh, on the broadcast my dad sort of turned to me and goes like, "Will anyone from USC be in there?" And I was like, well, I don't know, because I would make the case for Reggie Bush, but he's not going to be in there because he never is. But USC's best bet would probably be OJ Simpson, except that they don't they're not going to have OJ in there. There's never going to have there. And and uh, Dan Patrick made a good point on, on Tuesday morning on his show that, like, he said that OJ Simpson, he would have been someone he would have had in there. But they invited all of the top eleven right. to be at the game. They there was no circumstances under which they were going to yeah. let OJ Simpson get a sniff of being invited to the national. Yeah, Championship that, that kind of so killed that off. That's but, fair. But yeah. but but I think that, that that's why you have OJ at twelve, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. Not not twenty five. Sure, but I I have I have no problem. Most of the the SC players, I think that are. I, I don't have major beefs with, with the exception of Reggie. I think Reggie could be higher um, than 61. Um, the, the one that I Can think... Are talking that, about the most egregious? The, the most egregious is Tim Tebow at 76. 76. 
I hate Tim Tebow. I can't stand Tim Tebow. But to have him at 76 shows a complete blatant disregard for football that was played in this century. Yeah. Because Tim Tebow was a a revolutionary college player. He was just the, the, the guy who dragged Florida across the line so many times in that era. And you have him at number 76. Reggie Bush being 61 is, is egregious enough without Tim Tebow, who is, a, in, my, in my estimation, a top 10 college football player of all time. To be at 76? No. So I did the numbers. There was 41 players who played in our lifetime. You and I are the same age. Uh, 41 players played in our lifetime uh, in the last 30 years that are on this 150 uh, players list. Uh, Tim Tebow is the third-ranked quarterback. And if you would have told me, okay, he's the third-ranked quarterback in the last 30 years, I would have been like, okay, then he's got to be a top-five player then. Um, so then you pro- you might maybe you have Tommy Frazier and like Cam Newton ahead of him maybe. I don't know. Um, Peyton Manning, sure. But Andrew Luck is the number two quarterback. I love Andrew Luck. I loved watching him play at Stanford. He wasn't better uh, than The Tim game Tito. against SC in, in 2010 and 2011, both of those games, phenomenal. Hell of a player. He's not ahead of Tim Tebow. Not even close. No. Not even close. Not at all. So it's, it's a crazy list. Crazy. It's hard. Crazy As list. someone who does a lot of these kinds of lists for a living. Oh, by the way, Baker Mayfield at 150, utterly insane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just Baker Mayfield I was mean, statistically the greatest quarterback ever, like as recently as three years ago. I'd even throw in Dominican Sue at sixty-three. I, it's a little low. This this list is going to be way skewed towards uh, offensive players, just by this very nature. But Dominican Sue is one of the most dominant players I've ever seen in college football. So, I mean, Vince Young at eighty-one feels egregious to me, and I hate Vince Young. Um. I just, uh, I don't know. The the both Adrian Petersons made the list, though. Adrian Peterson made the list. Both, both Adrian them, Petersons yeah. made the list. Yeah. <laughs> I got you now. Um, Christian McCaffrey at one eighteen. Way too low. I mean, White Reggie Bush needs to be way higher than that. Well, Let's but if right. Reggie's at, if, if, if I mean, if, if you have Reggie at sixty one, then White Reggie Bush at. <laughs> A, a one eighteen, I guess, makes have sense. Have Reggie at eleven, and then and McCaffrey, McCaffrey at, at sixty one. There you go. There, there you go. There you go. I don't know. It just I was gonna say, as someone who makes these lists for a living, some of the time, uh, it's very hard to put together this kind of list, especially because, like you said, how are you supposed to judge Red Grange up against Christian McCaffrey? Like, how right. are you supposed to judge? Uh, uh, Staubach up against Cam Newton like they might play the same position but they don't play the same position right uh, so like I'm sympathetic to the difficulties of putting these things together but you can very much tell that this was put together by people who who I'm pretty sure Beano in... Cook who's been dead for like eight years or whatever it is he might have he might have put this together before then <laughs> well you know how you always say <laughs> that's, with that's, um, what, that's what it is you always say with relegation teams in, in soccer that like the teams or, or like you even say like teams that were good when you were growing up, like those are the, you yes. feel like those are always supposed to be good. 
Right, I because that, like... that's 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 your first notion of of the the teams that were that were um your your first impression is the lasting one, right? So like yeah. me as a kid, Nebraska is like the powerhouse program when I was a kid, right? And so yeah, like I can understand that you could stick with that, but then how is Tommy Fraser ranked 97? Well, but like but that's my thing is that I I feel like this list was put together by people who had their imprint of the top 150 players of college football settled by 1995. Yeah. And those players that were already decided in that those they ha- all had to be in there and then so I guess they had to pay lip service to anyone who came afterwards as just like, well, I guess we have to have them in there, but we're still going to pump this top 10 full of, I mean, I'm not going to argue Herschel Walker. I'm not going to argue like the guys in the top 10 very strongly, but. But you have to go down to to Marshall Falk at at 36. He's the first player who you mentioned having done this in 95. He, of, of all the players in here, uh, he's the f- the the most recent to to ha- to be graduated by ninety five would have been Marshall Falk, at number thirty six on the list. Yeah, Peyton Manning and Eddie George still in school at that point. Also ninety five. <laughs> yeah, and again, I I have to wonder how many of these players had they not on gone on to NFL glory. Where I I would like to know where they'd be ranked if they had not gone on to NFL glory, which yeah. is my biggest pet peeve about ranking college football players is that well that's what i hate because then i'm in a state of you know i i'm someone who went 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 to bat for for ronald jones and you end up being in you know uh in a place where you're like well i really hope he has a great nfl career so that that way he gets the nfl bump so that way people remember him like yeah which is so ridiculous yeah like you know we we talk about the all decade team and how USC's wide receivers of this decade are Marquise Lee and Robert Woods, number one and two, and then three and four are Juju or Michael Pittman, and it's one of the two, and you have to decide. And most people are probably going to say Juju, right? But if Michael Pittman has a great career, and you ask people 10 years from now, people are going to be like, actually, you know, it might have been Michael Pittman, um, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe vice versa. If Juju continues to have a Hall of Fame career or whatever, are people going to say that he he was he better than number USC one than Marquise Lee? Yeah, which is going to be lunacy. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break. Come back. Get in the mailbag. Wrap this thing up. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's get into the mailbag with an email we got from Alex. Hey, Michael and Alicia. First, I love the podcast. You both are a bright spot in what has been an admittedly tough few seasons, even for an eternally positive USC football fan like me. I tried to DM you but wasn't able to. Honestly, probably a good move on y'all's behalf about the news of the firings on Tuesday. I was a GA with the Trojan Athletic Fund from 2015 to 16. And interacted with all three of those guys daily. I even took a class with Steve Lopes. I'm not sure where to begin with describing how I feel about him and Scott Jacobson. They were instrumental in getting me to where I am today. I can't say I'm super shocked that they might have been involved in the Varsity Blues scandal. Of anyone in that office, they would be the ones to know about it. 
it's just a shock to see someone you know and respect get involved in something like this. Not sure the point of this email overall, except to say it's a weird feeling to actually personally know a name that comes through on a tweet like this. Thanks for all that y'all do. Fight on and fight out, Alex. Yeah, thanks for the email, Alex. Very interesting perspective. Uh, we had, I wonder if, th- if this is the same Alex as somebody who uh, tweeted us or tweeted me on, on Tuesday saying like, Steve Lopes is supposed to be teaching my class at four o'clock. And I'm like, well, that's awkward. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the, these guys, they, they're humans. I'm sure they had, uh, made their mark personally on, on many people and, and had positive, uh, impact in some ways. It's just that when it came to USC's athletic department, the old guard was not keeping up with the things that USC needed to do in order to stay competitive athletically and also, you know, have the capital I integrity and all that kind of stuff. So we don't know if it's varsity blues or if it's just the, overwhelming you know athletic department issues that maybe had them all ousted Uh, who knows one way or the other i I don't want to like make accusations that we can't back up but it was necessary and that doesn't mean that we need to ignore the human cost of this is the thing that i'm always like frustrated by is on black monday at when they're firing all the nfl coaches or whatever and everyone's like just remember that these are you know, people losing their job and like you're cheering people losing their job. Like it's not cheering people losing their job. It's cheering an organization making the proper decisions. So I feel for them and and the transition that they're going through in life. But for the sake of USC, this is what needed to happen. And, uh, you know, well, hopefully it all comes for the better on all sides. Yeah, 100 percent. You got to get a clean slate somehow. Um, And um, to like the the guys over at uh, the Parasol podcast were saying, if if the if these guys are good at their job and whatnot, they're they're gonna find a landing place. Um, SC still just needs to get a a, a, a fresh start. Like both those things uh, can happen simultaneously. Uh, let's go to an email from Lexi. Uh, you guys do an amazing job of keeping football fans informed. Thank you. It seems amid many other issues within USC athletics, there was never any follow up as to what occurred. With the internal lawsuit filed for potential infractions slash violations with the football team for the former whistleblower employee. Can you shed some light on that matter for us? Thank you. Thanks for the email, Lexi. Uh, this is about the lawsuit by a former member of USC's uh, support staff, Rick Courtright, uh, that cited uh, Clancy Pendergast. Um, this was reported, I think, in, originally in July. And the, the most recent thing that we can find is an article by Nathan Fenno of the LA Times in August, uh, August 23rd, 2019, uh, that says that it will be argued behind closed doors. The lawsuit by former USA football coach ordered to arbitration is the title. So yeah, it's, it's frustrating because this now feels like something that we'll never get uh, an actual answer on, um, but... Uh, this is probably in the best interest for at least one, if not both of those parties, uh, that it ended, ended that way. Uh, it's just frustrating for fans looking for uh, some transparency to to really know, you know, was that something that you wanted to blame USC about or not, right? Well, and that's, and that's the thing is sometimes you get these lawsuits and you can't tell, you know, what's up and down and what's a fishing expedi- expedition and what's actually valid. Um, the interesting thing on this point is that now that Clancy Pendergast has been relieved of his duties, 
if anything comes of this, I agree with you. I don't think USC would want any of this to get out. I think it's in their best interest just to to settle and move on. But in theory, if, if something more came of it, then you'd expect USC to use it to their advantage and maybe get out of having to pay a buyout to Clancy Pendergast because this would give them cause. So I don't know. It's 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 intriguing, but I'm with you. I think this is the kind of thing where we're just never going to hear anything more about it. Pretty much. Uh, let's go to a tweet we got from Bert. Two questions. Number one, so does Keaton Slovis get the automatic start for being a freshman All-American uh, next season at quarterback? I mean, I think we can expect to hear Graham Harrell say something like, it's always an open competition and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think we can also read between the lines and say Keaton Slovis is USC starting quarterback. And they're helped a little bit by JT Daniels probably not being healthy and ready to go until later on in the offseason. But either way, Keaton Slovis has got to be USC starting quarterback. I mean, he was too good. This is one of those situations where I, I think you you say it's open because it should be open. I think that you want to have a competition every year um, in the sense of you want to you want there to be competition to because competition improves things, right? Uh, competition improves players. Uh, at the same point, I don't think there's any reasonable chance that JT Daniels has to win this thing uh, because he's coming off of an ACL tear. He's not going to be ready until the fall. Uh, by that time, Keaton Slovis will have all of spring to have progressed and develop even further. I don't see how JT wins this thing, but you have to give him a chance for a week or two in the fall just to see if he possibly could. Well, here's so here's my question. If if you're going into spring camp and you're Graham Harrell and you're answering these questions, do you just say Keaton Slovis is my quarterback? Like, part of me thinks Graham Harrell might just come out Does and say. Does it need to be said? I think he, it's assumed. Well, he's going to get asked point. about it, though. He's going to get asked day one. He's going to get but asked. Does, so. does anyone assume the contrary? Do the players assume the contract? I don't no. think so. No, but if you're Graham Harrell, I think you can come out and say, Keaton's my quarterback. Like, this I, I spring think, is all about well, everybody I, getting better, but... I think if, if you're Graham Harrell, you come out and say, Keaton's our quarterback right now. He's the healthy He's the healthy guy, and he earned he earned being you know QB1 during the spring. Uh, when we get everybody healthy, we'll evaluate the situation then. That's what you say, yeah. right? That's fair to all parties. Because I I don't think there's I don't think you I still think JT deserves a, a look but like it just it's not a reasonable expectation that he would be able to win the job on that look so I mean unfortunately it's not going to be a fair fight right well the 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 only thing if I'm JT I'm looking at it going how often has Keaton Slovis been injured in his brief time as a starter so. If I'm JT, I'm preparing, knowing that my chance is my chance to Wally Pip somebody just like I got Wally Pipped is just around the corner. For sure, yeah, one hundred percent. Bert's second question: How good of a chance do you think we have at landing Joe Barry as the defensive coordinator? I think there's a good chance, right? Um, here's my question, my pushback for that. Uh, we know that Joe Barry did not get the defensive coordinator job with the Rams. And we've known this for a few days now, since last week. If the idea was that if he didn't get the job with the Rams, he was just going to go to USC, then why hasn't it happened yet? 
I know SD usually takes a while for these sort of things, but I don't know. Everything's been slow about this thing. Uh, we talked about it last week. At this point, I really don't care that it's slow. Uh, there's no rush at this point. The recruiting season is just is what it is. Um, you don't need to rush back for signing day when you only have like two scholarships open anyways. Um, so I don't see the point of, of, of rushing. Just get the, just get the decision right. Make the hire, make the correct hire. If that's Joe Barry, or if it's not, take the time to just get it right at this point. Um, at this point, I don't think Joe Barry is the right hire. So I don't mind that a few days are going by and no news on this coming out given the, given the recency of that Rams situation. Um, but it's, it is hard to get a read on like, so who is USC actually talking to, uh, who are the, what are, what are, are they looking at NFL guys? Are they looking at college guys? Um, are they going to get a chance to talk to Rocky long? All of these things, I guess are, are up in the air, but like you, I am more concerned with them getting the right name than getting it now. But all of that yeah. is contingent on. Well, okay, who do you who do you hire then? Who who do you get? Because if if you're waiting this long and then you're you ultimately you know a week from now announce Joe Barry as your DC, then that's going to be the most anticlimactic thing I could imagine. At the same point, though, it's not like there's been a you know there's been no leaks about anything, and so at, at the same point, it's not like they, we've heard about all these interviews and they still haven't made a decision. We just flat out, flat out haven't heard Jack, right? Well, we we did hear a few, uh, uh, like a week and a half ago, that Helton was interviewing people. But so, but it's not like there's been a string of oh, so and so's in line for the, for this yeah, job yeah. and all this stuff that we usually hear about these things. There's there's been none of that, so yeah, it, it it'd be a different situation. I don't know. I I'm certainly you would have to think that he has a, a good chance with, with Joe Barry with the Rams not in the equation and with him being so tied to the program so i think the chance is good um bert to answer the question uh let's go to a tweet from king camby uh if usc found an extra 5 million dollars a year what would the best way to spend it be a increasing assistant coach money better coaches to develop usc's athletes b a new recruiting pro- program with things like innovation and leveraging new name, image, and likeness laws, or C, uh, just put it on the pile and pray SC's lawyers can wrap up scandals quickly. A, B, or C? Um, I would increase the assistant coach money. Uh, get better, better coaches. Uh, I I think there's an there's an, certainly a support staff argument to make, but quite frankly, you need to win this year. You just need to win, and that'll put a lot of things right. So go out and hire a home run of a, of a defensive coordinator, and I think you're in much better shape if you're USC. Um, the the, the counter-argument, if you're an accelerationist, is to put it in the recruiting support staff stuff uh, because you plan to— Just focus on the long term? Yeah, you, you plan to get rid of the, head, get rid of the staff anyways, but I'm, I'm not looking forward to a miserable football season, so— Ah, I think it's tough. I I think that the the long term investment of recruiting I think is good. I don't know that fi- I don't know how five, far five million dollars goes. I know how far that goes in terms of coaching, 
because we know what coaches make for the most part. We know the ballpark. I don't know what $5 million does for recruiting. And I feel like if I knew more about what that meant, uh, like if we're just talking strictly salaries, $5 million, does, does that mean that you can hire, you know, 20 people, 20, 30 people to, to, to be on your staff uh, at various levels? Sure. But then what are you going to do with those people because you kind of ran out of your 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 uh your funds at that point i i don't know i i I don't i don't know i'd probably just put it in in coaching because it's so easy to know what five million dollars does and i know that's lazy but it's just i i I just don't know what that money does with recruiting yeah well i don't know what the short-term effect of that money is either because yeah and how do you improve usc's recruiting dilemma right now quicker than any other way is just to get better so you might as well just throw that at a defensive coordinator or something. So let's go to a series of tweets we got from Scourge, a series of questions. Uh, a way, way, way too early predictions for next se- season, wins and losses based off of first glance. Alicia, we're going to go rapid fire through this really quick, one by one. Uh, Alabama, win or loss? Loss. Loss. Uh, New Mexico, win or loss? Win. Same. Uh, Notre Dame. Was that at the Coliseum? At the Coliseum. Ooh, I'm going to go bold and say win. I'm going to say win, too. I, I'm not, I know I'm crazy. Home to ASU. Uh, win. I'm going to say a win, too, only because of the Coliseum. Home to Cal. <sighs> win. Home, I agree. Home, home to Colorado. When? <laughs> I agree. Home to Washington. It's uh, a loss for me, by the way. I'm I'm thinking loss just because we don't know, like the unknown of, of the Jimmy the Lake. unknown. Plus, I think the USC thing to do is to beat ASU but lose to Washington and then lose the division to ASU, anyways. Yeah. It would help right. if we knew the order of these, but yeah, I'll yes. go lost too. It, it, it certainly would. Uh, I'm expecting the, the the schedule to come out at any, really any day now. Um, let's go to the Pac-12 road games. Uh, Arizona. Win. Yeah, I agree. Oregon. Loss. Right? Loss. Just Chuck. <laughs> Easy loss. Uh, Stanford. Win. Win. UCLA. Win. Uh, win. Utah. Loss. Uh, Louisiana, I'm, am I crazy? I have SC at 9-3 with the win. I have USC at 8-4. and four. I'm fair. As I've said, USC's going to find a way to, to lose five games, but like 8-4 and four feels again, again. 8-4 and four seems, sweet spot. seems sane. Realistically, I think 8-4 and four with the four losses being Alabama and Oregon for sure. And then the other losses being you like uh, pick, pick two between Notre Dame, Utah, ASU, and Washington. Yeah, yeah and it's eight right. and four. Well, we're in we're in Groundhog's Day. Like it's it's Groundhog's Day. We're gonna just have the same conversations all off season yeah. about how the the sweet spot is eight and four. A good year is nine and three, but seven and five would not surprise us either. Yep, a good year should be ten and two. But when you have yeah. face Alabama, it ends up becoming nine and three. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Scrooge's next question after that. Uh, got reactions to Austin Jackson, Elijah Fair Tucker, any other uh, juniors? Should they stay or should they go? Who should stay and who should go? Yeah, I wrote about this on com a couple weeks ago. I think that Austin Jackson should go. And I think that Elijah Vera Tucker should stay. Tyler Vaughn should stay. Um, Jay Tufele should stay. Marlon Tupelotu, Brandon Peely, all of those guys should stay. I think the only one who should go is Austin Jackson. But I think I could talk myself into if I'm Tyler Vaughn's or Elijah Vera Tucker, am I going to get any better? Am I going to improve my draft stock? Probably, well, certainly if you're Tyler Vaughn's, I don't think you will. I think the argument for coming back with Tyler Vaughn's, because Tyler Vaughn's is as big, strong, and fast as he's ever going to be. I don't think he's going to change any minds in that sense. But Tyler Vaughn's right. is really close to some USC records, so he could come back and put his name in the in the record books. He could essentially go down as, yeah, USC's career leader in a bunch of stuff. He can break back. Robert Woods' career receptions mark rather yeah, easily, sure. in fact. He wouldn't. He would only have to... Because he'd be a four-year guy. Yeah, yeah if he repeated his stats from uh, 2019, he'd, he'd take that record. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like easily. The the difficult thing for, for Tyler Bonds, and this is where my little pet peeve is the idea of of saying leave early versus forego the final season of, of eligibility. Of eligibility, yeah. Because Tyler Bonds would not be leaving early. He was a red shirt. So he would not be leaving school early. Um, if he ended up moving on to the NFL, he would almost However, certainly be a graduate. Like, yeah, because he'd be a a, a fifth year senior yeah. coming back next year. But um, but having said that, um, I don't know. I I think it's Tyler Rollins is a coin flip. I think Austin Jackson probably should go if he's getting first round talk. Um, but Elijah Vera Tucker, I think, could come back and come get first round talk of his own if he comes back and improves. So yeah, I agree with that. Uh. Scourge's last question. Will USC see the NCAA again due to all these scandals and how bad will it get? I, I'm sure at some point. They got a they got a, a notice of infractions for the basketball team uh, about a month ago. But who the heck knows? That's yeah. that's a bigger NCAA issue. So there's a lot of other dominoes that need to fall on that one. Yep. Uh, tweet from Patrick. How long do you think USC can keep the game close against Alabama next season? I think they'll. I it think was twenty-two it'll be, I think minutes. It'll, I think it'll play out exactly last year like before it Alabama did. scored. I think it'll play out exactly like like it did before. USC will be keep it close for a quarter, and Alabama will pull away in the second. Alicia, it was twenty-two minutes. It was more than a quarter. Okay, fine. Just over a quarter. I think SC takes it to half, relatively competitively. Um. Because I, I think that Keaton Slovis is, we've talked about this before with Alabama, like Alabama in, in week one is impossible to beat. They they blow out everybody because you have so long to prepare for them. Having said that, Keaton Slovis, if you look back at him compared to every single quarterback Alabama has faced in week one, the best in a long time, maybe the best that Nick Saban has ever faced in week one. They have faced a bunch of bad quarterbacks in week one. <laughs> so, like, I, I think there's a chance where Keaton Slovis goes in there not rattled, and USC's offense is going to be mostly preserved, save for what happens with Austin Jackson and Elijah Barry Tucker. So if those guys come back, yeah, then everyone on the offense is back with the exception of Michael Pittman, but you can replace Michael Pittman in terms of production. So I think that you have to feel like SC can can, can hang for a little bit, um, maybe more than 22 minutes, maybe a half 
and then they lose by 20 after that. That's that's what I'd say. Yeah. Uh, final one from the pragmatist on Twitter. Did anyone puke over the notion that SC passed on Ed Ogeron in favor of Steve Sarkeesian? Um, I, I, again, this is where we go back to SC shouldn't have hired either one of those guys. I, 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 I will stand by and maybe when Ed Orgeron turns up next year and loses Joe Brady and Joe Burrow and Dave Aranda and still goes out Joe and Brady wins the national off title. To the, to the NFL now. Off to the NFL with Matt Rule, the Panthers. If if Ed Orgeron turns around and wins the national championship again, then I will eat all the crow and say that no, Ed Orgeron really just is that good of a head coach at this point in his career and USC screwed the pooch. But I still maintain that USC shouldn't have made either of those hires in, in hindsight. Uh, they shouldn't have made the Ed Orgeron hire because he wasn't qualified. He had been a failed co- head coach at Mississippi. They should have shot higher, you know, should have aimed higher. And they shouldn't have hired Steve Sarkeesian because of his, the drinking problem that was apparently uh, visible at, at UW even before then. So, I don't know. I'm stubborn. Not to mention that he hadn't done enough at, at Washington to yeah. to warrant getting into USC job either. So, I think he had done enough to prove that he was a decent coach. But USC and I'll take at it that to my grave stage... that, that Sark is better than, than Kiffin as a head coach. Um, in terms of ideas, uh, Sark just hasn't been able to prove those things for long, long enough. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Sark's plan is good. Uh, Sark just wasn't as good of a staffer as Lane Kiffin. Yeah. And so, well, I mean, USC should have gone out and hired like John Harbaugh at that point. Like USC should have gone out and made a huge hire. But of course they didn't, and um, I mean I go back and back and say that John Harbaugh the, one year after winning a a, a Super a Bowl, Super Bowl, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, but I I keep going back to uh, USC's first big mistake was firing Lane Kiffin the way that they did. I think Lane Kiffin stays around for another three four years if they just let him finish out that season. But that's me being some revisionist. All right, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening, as always. Uh, this is the first episode in Reign of Troy Radio history in which Alicia has crocheted during the entire thing. Uh, this is true. Um, I, I I cannot deny this. I am crocheting my my brother and his my sister-in-law is pregnant uh, with a little baby boy, and so it was requested that I crochet a uh, baby blanket, so I am doing it in uh, Cardinal. Or a version of but, Cardinal. But, but like, you, you couldn't do this post-pod. Uh, you know what the beautiful thing about crochet? So I'm you, the kind of person... To, you had to do the most old ladyish thing of all time. I am such an old lady. You have no idea. No. Cro- I am the kind of person who will sit while we podcast and, like, fiddle with things. That's why, like, I try to keep it, like... I I, my, I like having my hands and my, my brain sort of occupied with, like, a... Like, it's almost like... This is, like, my version of, like, a fidget spinner. Like, you have no idea how relaxing this is to be talking to you right now and be just, like, mindlessly doing my stitches and stuff. Like, it's been such a lovely pod. And then you're going to start telling me about the uh, uh, about the, the early bird dinner yep. at, at the local uh, Marie Callender's. Well, uh, for me, it's the local Coco's, but sure. Yeah. That was a crochet needle hitting the microphone, so. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing to mention here, by the way. Uh, my poll 
is is up with final results that I put on Twitter. What is the optimal number of sticks of gum to consume at a given time? The winner of that poll is the correct winner. Two. 48.2% of people said two. Honestly, I'm surprised at the results of this poll. I thought for sure, like, I am a one, one stick chewer. You're a one stick chick? I'm a one stick chick. Uh, I think, I think you could make the case there are some gums that come in that feel like they're a smaller strip, but like, I, I tend to stick with Orbit these days and like, I feel like a single Orbit is perfectly adequate. I, I, I don't feel the need to go you two. You need two to have enough flavor. I'd rather like chain chew Orbit. Cause I, I feel like I you lose it, the flavor to, at the two. same speed if you have two. So then you're just wasting one. Yeah, I like two. Uh, number one, one stick was in second place at 43.2%. Uh, 5% of people said four plus slash I eat crayons. Um, <laughs> and 3.6% of people said three sticks. I just feel like you end up having a lot of gum if you're going through it like that. That's why I said if it's four plus, you probably eat crayons too. So, <laughs> how, how do you say crayons? Do you say crayons or do you say crayons? I say crayons. Yeah, it is crayons. Unless I'm like trying to enunciate it because someone didn't hear me and then I say crayons. Crayons are so weird. Crayons. Or like people in the South, they say crowns. I guess I throw in the the Y there, but it's just very mumbled. Like crayons. It's crayons. Crayons. C-R-A-N-S. Crayons. Crayons. Yeah. Hmm. All right. That's going to wrap up this episode. As always, you can listen ad-free over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. For three thirty-three per month, you get all of our main show episodes ad-free. For five fifty-five, you get all of our ad-free main episodes, plus all of our bonus content, which is two episodes a, a, two episodes a week, which makes for three episodes a week over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy, where you include our main shows. And then for 10 bucks, you get ad-free main episodes, Get all of our bonus content, at least two episodes a week, and then access to our Slack channel for 10 bucks, uh, which is super fun. Get to join the Rock crew, all the diehard uh, USC fans and Rock bots that we have in there. So that's going to wrap up this episode. As always, we'll be back next Wednesday to talk about USC football, and hopefully we have a schedule by then. Hopefully. Hopefully. I'm praying. We shall see. We're going to get mean- an Airbnb in Eugene at some point, so. I mean, we, we, we had a conversation earlier, like, last year the schedule came out in December, so we're not entirely sure. It's never sure. the same time. Sometimes it's December. Sometimes it's November. Sometimes it's January. Like, pick a freaking time. Or do the thing that the ACC does, where they, they put out their schedule, like, years and years in advance. It's so frustrating. Mm. Gotta juggle a lot of scheduling See, concerns. if you're going to hold back on the schedule, then it then it needs to be good. Like, it needs to be manufactured based on the teams. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if, if the point is to hold back this far, then you need to have all of the good games in November. So that way you have a bunch of undefeated teams or something like that. You know what I mean? You can't yeah, have we SC know and Utah meeting in week three. But, yeah. All right. Then on this episode. Until then, we'll see. Yeah. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.